This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Corinne Bailey Ray released her hit song Put Your Records On back in 2006. She's now out with her fourth studio album, and it's a far departure from that feel-good pop single. This record sonically jumps from punk garage rock R&B and piano ballads. experimental jazz. The album is called Black Rainbows. It was largely inspired by a former community savings and loan building in the south side of Chicago that has since been transformed into what's been described as a cathedral of black art. It's called the Stony Island Arts Bank. I caught up with Corinne Bailey-Ray to have her break down the inspiration for songs she got from pieces in the Stony Island Arts Bank and beyond. But first, she talked about the history behind the building. The building is 100 years old, 100 years old this year, and it's on the south side of Chicago. So I guess at one point it was in a prosperous black middle class area. And then in recent years, it had fallen out of use. Um, Nobody needed this bank. It was going to be pulled down by the city. And it was saved from demolition by this artist called Fiesta Gates, this visual artist who works in ceramics. And part of his practice is saving abandoned buildings and bringing them back to life as spaces for art and spaces for community and spaces for people to come together. So I heard about Fiesta. I saw a photograph of him. I was intrigued as to who he was and found out about this building. And I was in tour in Chicago. And we arranged to meet up and I went to the bank and went through the doors of this huge Gothic building with this vast open space on the downstairs floor. And I saw all these artworks, these paintings and drawings and sculptures. And then I looked up and saw on the second floor this incredible library that has all the books that were ever given to the Johnson Publishing Foundation who did Ebony Magazine, Jet Magazine, and Negro Digest. So anyone who was writing any book in black stuff at all, you know, art, literature, politics, dance, music, civil rights or history, the or, or global history, you know, Ethiopian rock churches or about the pioneers, black pioneers going west. There were just books about all of these subjects here. And that was fascinating to me because I've been interested in these uh, issues for so long but never known that there was this volume, massive, massive volume of thousands and thousands of black literature. And then it's all of Frankie Knuckles' records. So his entire uh, vinyl archive is there. And it also has some problematic objects from America's past that this black and Chinese banker called Edward Williams collected from yard sales and junk sales, flea markets. And he would find these objects, postcards, cartoons, newspaper articles, print media, and he would buy them to take them out of circulation. You know, he'd think, what sort of person wants these things in their house, these, you know, cookie jars shaped like, you know, mammies and all of these difficult, problematic, derogatory objects 
he would say, let me just buy them and put them in these boxes in my house. And when he died, his children donated them to the bank. So it's this absolute mixture of um, sort of black thought and literature combined with this these difficult objects and then these glorious pages from Ebony magazine and people who've done work in, in um, bringing the the black Madonna to life, you know, bringing these huge photographs uh, into the space. So so I, I loved it straight away when I went in the bank. Siesta said, you should do a, a concert here. But when I left, all I could think about was the stories that I had encountered in the bank, you know, photographs of people without captions. Who were they? Where were they going? What were they doing? You know, this is 1850s. Who is this 12-year-old girl that's leaving for the West, this little black girl who's looking after the a white family's baby, you know, what will happen to her? Or who is this woman I've seen who's just won a beauty competition in 1954? And, you know, I just had all these questions and I really wanted to go back and encounter the bank again. So I went in residence there in 2017 in November for two weeks. And I've been back every, you know, year, as many times as I can go back. I can't count the amount of times I've been there and the amount of time I've spent there, but it has become my obsession this building and, the, and telling those stories um, and bringing them to life in music. And I know, you know, your song New York Transit Queen off this album is inspired by one of those photographs that you saw. New York Transit Queen, New York Transit Queen, New York Transit Queen, York Transit Queen little over 17. And then also on this album, your song... Erasure um, came from some of what you learned from from the bank or photographs from Sturdy Island Arts Bank. Tell me more about the history you learned that ended up in the song Erasure. Erasure was a combination of things for me. Um, partly and mostly it was looking in this Edward J. Williams collection where I keep going through all of these disparate objects, you know, everything from cookie jars, knickknacks, you know, they've been dubbed negrobilia, the kind of racialized, um, you know, ephemera, things that weren't meant to be collected. So they tell us a story about history that they weren't meant to tell in a way, you know, they were just meant to be a thing you had in the kitchen or weighing scales that you used or, you know, a sign on a on a door. But, of course, you know, a coloured-only sign or a, a photograph of, you know, a, a lynching or some racialized violence, they tell us so much more than they, they think they're telling us. Some of these objects are so difficult and you think, part of you thinks, shouldn't they just be on a huge bonfire somewhere? They still sort of fizz with pain and they, their effects are, they still damaging to be around but they're also evidence of how how widespread this thinking was which I think is really useful for all of us to know that it wasn't just of certain people or bad people or people in the south you know so sometimes I'd look on the back of these lynching postcards and you know to see what was written and think oh my gosh what am I about to encounter this kind of diatribe on the back but it would be dear mum and dad just arrived in Georgia I can smell the peaches through the window of the train station. It's tra- you know, kiss aunt so-and-so for me, pet the dog. You know, so good, kind people who also had this huge 
blind spot when it came to people outside their sort of ethnic group, sort of not seeing people as people, this kind of anti-black, this anti-black racism. So it was really useful to see. So I think when I was in, when I was looking at the pieces, I saw, you know, this erasure of black personhood, this erasure of black childhood, how black children weren't seen somehow as innocent or pure. They were often framed in situations that were too old for them, you know, love or romance or domestic violence situations or they were laboring you know the gold dust twins let us clean the house for you little you know two-year-old black children with dusters for skirts who are going to help clean the house here's a whole brand of gold dust or they were shown as criminals stealing chicken or they were put in peril for amusement you know they were being fed to alligators or about to fall out of a tree into the mouth of alligator there's a whole series of things to do with children and alligators which I guess was some kind of theme that was you know, these objects are made for white amusement. And then they've been brought into black care in the bank. And the contrast to that, the tension of that was really, you know, startling to me. So the erasure of black childhood, the erasure of black women's femininity, you know, not seeing black women as beautiful. Where black women were presenting as beautiful, they were grotesque in the cartoons. You know, their lips were huge and their bottoms were bulging and there's you know, their clothes would be bursting open and their teeth would be sticking out and their hair would be at all angles and they would imagine themselves to be fine women or they were shown as kind of sexual objects to be used or they were shown as kind of domestic, just completely domestic, almost akin with a refrigerator or a washing machine. So I would just look at this and think, you know, how do you respond to this? And I guess my response to that, to those objects, became a punk song. You know, punk is really natural to me because I grew up in a punk band called Helen. That just comes out in my guitar. You know, that's that's a go-to sort of style to me, and I, I sort but of, I felt all this stuff in my body. You know, this my dis-ease with this um, with these subjects. It came out in that in the punk style, also tying alongside that um, so many black voices have kind of been um, quietened in, in punk music and maybe forgotten about. But yeah, I wanted to bring, I guess, black punk to the fore as well. So that, that's why that comes out in, um, in Erasure. You were talking about also just how women were portrayed in some of these images. And I was listening to your song, um, He Will Follow You With His Eyes. And it starts off kind of sounding like this like 1950s like movie soundtrack where you talk about, you know, soft hair that's lighter and brighter and kind of invites the male gaze. And then the sound kind of shifts into like more R&B sounding or like just, I feel like just like transports you into like this idea of like Afrofuturism. And you start talking about your black hair kinking and your black skin gleaming. My black hair kinking, my black skin gleaming, my plum red lipstick. Tell me more about this track. 
Oh, thanks, Emily. I'm so glad it comes across. You know, I've been working on this record for so long, and now it's finally out. I feel like, oh, people can hear people can hear what's been going on inside my brain. But yeah, I found these amazing products called Valmore. They're from Chicago, and the artwork was done by this black illustrator called Charles Dawson. Really brilliant. So they're beautiful portraits of black women and black men. But of course, the beauty that they are advertising is, as you say, a white aligned beauty. So it's lighter skin. So there's lots of white rose cold cream and sweet Georgia brown, you know, to, that you would use to make your skin brighter. And then the adverts, it would say things like help yourself to love and happiness with this cream, you know, and then it would show maybe a triptych of a man getting a promotion and a woman getting the man, it's the 50s. And um, I was interested in this history because I loved the romantic nature of the products. They were called like, follow me, boy, and look me over. And his eyes, the adverts would say, his eyes will follow you across the room. And I thought about the 50s for women and what a difficult time it was and how there were these products. I mean, we're not miles away from it now, these products that say, this thing can do everything you want. It can get you health. It can get you wealth. It can get you happiness. You know, the reason you are not where you need to be is just because you haven't got your hair right or your lips right or your beauty right or your scent right or your clothes right. I mean, I think advertising still uses those things, doesn't it, to get us, to get our pennies. Um, but, yeah, as you say, halfway through, the person who's singing it kind of rejects this kind of 50s, woozy, slightly drugged, version of what it is to be a woman what it is to be a black woman and they settle into their selfhood and their personhood and their you know they have the plum red lipstick the black hair kinking the black skin gleaming and yeah that that i like the contrast between the first and the second half of the song my black hair kinking my black I understand that the book Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl inspired your song Peach Velvet Sky. Peach Velvet Sky I can see a peach velvet sky Tell me more about that book and, and what you pulled for inspiration on this track. Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl is a book that I read when I was a teenager it was sent to me by my aunts. I have two aunts. My dad has four sisters, and the whole family came over from St. Kitts to England, to Leeds, where I grew up. And two of the aunts stayed in England, but two went to America. And one would send me American stuff, you know, like she'd send me Kool-Aid, or she'd send me barrettes for my hair, or she'd send me books with characters that looked like me, which was a real revelation. You know, there weren't that many children's picture books at the time in England where you'd see someone, you know, with brown skin or black hair or... So I loved that. And then when I was a teenager, she sent me Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, which I read. And then when I went to the bank, I encountered multiple copies of this book and things about, you know, Harriet Jacobs' biography as well. And I thought, I must reread this. And rereading Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl as an adult and as a mother was even more poignant. You know, it's a story of this woman who grows up in North Carolina in 1813, she's born and she grows up as an enslaved woman. She learns of her status as a slave, as a child. But here she is, Harriet Jacobs, and she has this oppressive master. He's um he's violent with her and he has all these sort of sexual harassments towards her. And she has two children 
with someone else. And um, he is angered, I guess, by this and these decisions. And she realizes how much danger she's in and how much danger her children are in. He, he throws one of her children against a wall one time. He's in this coma for a few days. And she realizes, I have to get away. I have to get my children away. So she makes it seem like she's fled to the north. Like one morning they wake up and she's just gone. Because she knows if she's really gone north, he will find, he will spare no expense in trying to find her and he'll bring her back. That might be the end of her life or her children's life. So instead of running away to the north, she hides out in the crawl space above her grandmother's storehouse, her free grandmother's storehouse. And she stays there for seven years. With her children? No, just on her own. She stays there because there's no, she can't stand up in this space. She can only lie down in the space. Her grandmother's the only person who knows that she's there. So she is able to come down into the storehouse sometimes to move around and go back in. You know, she, she never walks in the same way again. But she bores this hole in the side of the building. So she's able to peep through it and she's able to see her children growing up because her grandmother brings them by this land. And she can see, you know, she sews a little through the light and she writes letters to her children and has them sent from the north. And I just think about her mental fortitude, you know, just be staying silent when you can hear people discussing you as they walk past this building and not kind of screaming out in fear or just the tension of it. You know, it's seven years. And I just thought about her and what it must have been like to be away from her children and to make yourself a kind of prison in order to escape. And I thought about what the sunset looked like through her, you know, loophole. So the song's called Peach Velvet Sky. I thought about what it looks, that fragment of sky looks like, and then how wide and how vast and how full of possibility the horizon seems when she eventually gets north after seven years. You know, she she gets her children free. She sets up a school for um, black children after 1865. She looks after soldiers and refugees in the Civil War. She lives until she's in her 80s. You know, she has this amazing life. She's a very celebrated abolitionist in the 1860s. And her her story was well known. And so I I thought a lot about Harriet Jacobs, I guess, being a parent. You know, sometimes I'd be lying in bed at night thinking about her lying awake in that space and what it was like for her. And the song came to me while I was trying to get to sleep. Beyond just the inspiration that you got from the Stony Island Arts Bank and beyond, I feel like you also take us on this like extraterrestrial journey through this album, like your first track called A Spell, A Prayer. It starts off kind of sounding like something from space. And then you transport me in that first instrumental break. And the ending kind of sounds like you're entering a spaceship about to take off. (laughs) 
And then I also kind of get a similar vibe in the beginning of your track, Earthlings, where your voice kind of like sounds like an alien. Don't you know Earthlings? You can start again. Simply press refresh to begin again. Tell me more about the universe you're sharing with us on this record. I really wanted it to be broad and expansive. I mean, I saw that I was so inspired by the artists that I came across in the arts bank. You know, lots of visual artists, lots of contemporary artists, which I embarrassed to say I didn't know about. You know, I didn't know about Betty Saar. I didn't know about David Hammond. I did know about Sun Ra and Parliament and P-Funk and Funkadelic. And I knew how they were citing their experience in America and saying, we're from here, but we're not really from here. We reject what is normal about our situation. You know, we're, you can come to see our shows as the mother ship on stage. We're breaking down the barriers. If you want to come with us into space at the end, you know, all you have to do is kind of is be there with us, have, like music as a radical space, music as a, a site of transformation, music as a place to transport you from where you are into a kind of freaky galaxy where different rules apply, you know, and I was able to watch films and, you know, Sunrise, a Space is a Place and, and other kind of Afrofuturistic documentaries that would draw attention to all these different artists, which I guess as a kid, I, you know, my dad had these records. I just kind of thought they were weird. It's like, why are they all like in a spaceship and why have the women just wearing bikinis and what is this, you know, kind of weird world? And now I obviously see it in a completely different way. And, and I really liked that. In Earthlings, you know, don't you know, Earthlings, we can start again. And that is really my feeling in looking in all of this history and all these different attempts and failed attempts and successful attempts at utopias that were either dissolved or crushed by external pressure or violence. But just the instinct to kind of make a place that has new rules, that has more equity, that is ruled by peace, and justice that's transformative where we are looking inside we're doing work on ourselves to make a a better world and at first the world is small but the idea is that the world you know it spreads out to everywhere this was really uh gave me so much hope you know and, and that is really how I feel about the world in general even though I am not naive to the amount of um systemic problems that we have and huge things to overcome personally in our own lives as well as you know in terms of national and international scales global scales I am inspired by the fact that transformation is possible that it's possible for all of us any of us one day to wake up and live a completely different life and so I think earthlings and the spell of prayer and, and all of the kind of focus on space is really a, a sort of turning back in on earth and talking about the possibility of, of transformation. Well, congratulations on the record. It took me on a journey and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much. I really appreciate your time as well. Thanks, Emily. That was my conversation with Corinne Bailey-Ray. Her new album, Black Rainbows, was released on Friday.
That was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and consider giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.